pale horse. The man who sat on him was dead. And hell followed with him. You're killing me, man. Welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei Carr, joined by my faithful co-host, Zero Cool. Hello, hello. And our special guest, former Noir FC and leader of Asymmetric Warfare Alliance, Acer Card. Hey, hey. No relation. <laughs> <laughs> this is one wondered. of the most common questions I get asked, actually. <laughs> I've always wondered, but I knew the answer was no, so I just didn't ask. No, ever since Acer joined Noir, I get messages like, is this your alt? I gotta keep track of the D's. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Jumping things off before we get into it, Acer, we had a poll and we asked our audience Will Tech 2 Dreads be worth the price tag? We know we're getting Tech 2 caps and Viridian, and we're pretty sure Dreads are gonna be on the table. Will they be worth whatever they wind up costing? Nearly 60% of the audience does not believe so. Acer, you are a man who uses capitals and in uh, manners of violence and null second elsewhere. What do you think? Do you see a role here? Do you expect it's going to be worth what I assume will be a pretty sizable price tag, somewhere between a, a regular cap and a super? What do you think? Uh, we kind of have two competing thoughts going on internally right now. Um, one being a Blops-themed one with either a shorter siege cycle and the addition of the Conduit Jump, which... Is really cool to us because that allows you know the forward deploy something with Titan capabilities without the risk, and I think CCP would agree with me because they saw the metrics with the Blops update and the addition of the bridge module. So I can definitely see that being added to increase dread usage. It's just a matter of the price point for that. I feel like it's hard to justify them like anything over ten bill, but that's just where we're at with looking at it. Not sure what y'all thoughts were. Well, what does a super carrier go for now, combat fit? About 30? Uh, you're getting the hole for 45. Uh, I would know Ooh. because we recently uh, lost one, but uh, yeah, they're pretty pricey. Um, I, I would expect your your tech 2 to come in somewhere between 12 and 20. That's my guess. If they could get it to about 15, I think that's about right. If you look at uh, tech 1s versus their tech 2 equivalent. So is that Hull, Alec, or, or oh, Fit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Fit will probably be... So if they, if you can get the Hull for 12, I think Fit would probably be about 15, if you wanted it fit nicely. Yeah. I think 15 for a fitted T2 Dread sounds about as high as you can go without really upsetting everybody. <laughs> I guess, yeah, it ultimately comes down to what they can do. If they're worth it, people will pay it. Mm-hmm. You see that with the Faction Dreads, like they're... They're a little bit more expensive, but people love them. You see them all the time. And how much would it... I mean, I, I know there's LP and, and everything that complicates it, but how much is it worth, you know, a faction, a fit faction dread? Yeah, I mean, I think depending on the dread, it can vary quite a bit. I would say they're about double what the tech ones are. Yeah. You get them at like seven and a half for T2 fit. And then so, for a regular cap, you're looking at three and a half to four. Mm-hmm. That's for unfit, I'd say, on the regular Yeah, cap. the hulls, yeah. 
All right, so they're they're about fitted fifty percent more. Yeah. And usually, tech two ships are about double what the factions are price wise, rough, very roughly. It's going to be interesting, and I I think you know the audience, uh, you know, speaking volumes there that they're not not haven't got the faith that it's going to be um, as affordable as they want it to be. Um, well, what does that say? Like you say, it depends on what they can do. When are we going to get just dreads? Who knows? I think yeah. the Tech 1 carrier is in a pretty bad spot right now. would love to just see a balanced patch on those, but maybe Tech 2 is how they plan on addressing that. Maybe it comes with some carrier balancing to make room for the Tech 2. Who knows? I know one area that would really excite me as a player is a carrier with a stronger electronic warfare drone. Maybe it loses the DPS bonuses, but makes the uh, E-Ward drones tougher and stronger. Maybe we could field more of them. I don't know. Untapped potential there. I, I want to love... I mean, I don't think anyone really uses them outside of the Siren for the Galente. But they, they can do some interesting things. They're just very fragile. And the carrier still has no, no home in the meta, does it? And um, it's not doesn't look hopeful. Yeah, not great. Um, I saw Asar using them in a recent fleet. I asked him about what he uses them for. He told me just style. Like, they don't really have any purpose. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, those Citadel grids are pretty much the only place they have a true home in. Um, it's just, like, it's the long range, is it? I don't really think they're that better, because even Paladins reach to 300, which is just kind of mind-boggling. And I had my Thanatos on Fortazar defensively, with a paladin fleet surrounding it, fighting a faction battleship fleet. My by the time my fighters got there, you know, it was a, quite a long wait for them to arrive. Once they did, I didn't really notice the damage increase. And I think there were one or two Kikimoras on the enemy team, and they're just killing the fighters straight away. I spent more time pulling them back and sending them back out than I did shooting. I don't think I got on. I got on a kill mail, one saber. Nothing else I shot wound up dying, and I, I think I only maybe shot three or four targets total because I kept having to pull them back. Feels bad. Feels real bad. Yeah. I mean, I'll come on to uh, one of my things later. I think it's the shout-outs uh, about Eve Uni um, being under siege in uh, in Nelsac. They've got a little Nelsac campus that people will be familiar with, and they've had some problems there recently, and I was involved in a, a defense with them, and um, carriers featured... Uh, they got dropped on by carriers, and um, those carriers had to retreat into a pos because you know Eve Uni just were just able to tank um, the fighter damage in um, you know subcaps, uh, just just cruiser size uh, battle cruiser size stuff, and uh, yeah, they they just the, the opposing team with the carriers and fact support just had to sort of hide away in the pos and just jump out in the end. They couldn't do anything. Yeah, theoretically, if you could field enough of them. The tracking and alpha on battleships and battle cruisers is pretty good, probably better than a cap dread, and the range is longer than a haw. But if you don't have that critical mass for the alpha strike, they they don't really do a very convincing amount of DPS, and that those fighters get cleared super fast, even just by regular drones. It's uh, it's pretty niche. It's pretty niche. It's like a tool for the blob to use because anything shy of that. It just doesn't have the value. I think the, th- the thing for me about carriers is not the shame is not so much that 
that they don't really have much of a a use in in PvP and things like that, you know, compared to the other options for the same money. I, I think the issue is the money itself. You know, if you could get when I first started playing this game, I, I'm sure you could get a fit carrier for like 800 mil, and um, or you know, if you knew the right people and they kind of wanted to sell one quick, and um, you know, at that price, you know, you could you could see people ratting in them, you could see people doing stuff solo within them for fun, and uh, perhaps they would just be more of a content magnet or you know, a utility thing, and also something that people could like ease into cap battles and we might even see fcs who've never fc'd caps because it's such a big step isn't it going from you know you know sub caps to you know even to, to battleships uh, in that range and then and then becoming like a cap fc that's another ball game well if we had a, a cheaper cap like that then perhaps they would be of more use to the game and the community Well, it's definitely something we'll keep an eye on. We're finding out more and more about the Viridian patch as we go. We'll be talking about some of the things they've released shortly. But before we do that, let's introduce ASAR to our community very properly. As I said at the top of the show, he was a former FC for Noir. ASAR, what have you been doing since you've left? Uh, right after Noir, I did a little bit of dabbling in low-sec piracy, then found myself in wormholes. But where I kind of finally hit my uh, groove, I was quite young when I joined Noir. I uh, joined Dreadbomb, which is kind of Noir Jason at the time. They were both members of RC. So I did that for about eight months, enjoyed the blobs, the, you know, hot dropping gameplay. And I was like, hmm, why don't I start a court for this? And that's when I first uh, created a, a Symmetric Warfare. It was small at the time it was just me i got a few guys together and we were just out and outer ring i even uh contracted no oregon for a uh, citadel defense mm-hmm. it was the mid the goon war so all the renters out there were kind of free and had their own alliance going so it was kind of a cool like look it's kind of like the southeast now just way smaller um yeah that's kind of where i got the idea for asymmetric warfare i did that for a few months i even joined noir with my corp yeah, you're kind of in and out. It was a pretty quick stay. Yeah. Um, so I, yeah, I was young. <laughs> uh, you know how that <laughs> goes. Um, after that, I went and did Small Gang and Burn Eden for about a year. I learned a lot. I decided I was tired of Small Gang and joined Horde. Did that for three months. Got a Raiju. Flew it till it died. Then I quit. Um, my friends started kind of badgering me here guess eight months ago now i convinced me to come play i started a corp again rejoined asshor and uh yeah this the past eight months we have been living out here in curse and fire in the new space and it's been a lot of fun the post-fire southern region is definitely one of the most interesting potential areas for the game um to recap we've covered it on several shows now but it's been a while uh fire co got invaded by Horde and gave up almost immediately. And Horde essentially made an agreement with the other coalitions to stay out of some of the regions down here. I think that Faithabolus was the key one, but also Immensi, Scalding Pass, and Wicked Creek are kind of affected. And that is, the, the idea was just kind of like, let it be, pull back, see what happens with whatever alliances go in there and however they align themselves or work things out. Yeah, I'd say like Horde's intention and probably Imperium's as well was to kind of allow for 
some new groups to rise up, not necessarily to poach, but to like welcome more on like the bigger galactic scale. And it's been really cool to see. Um, it's like pretty much all of the angel space outside in Smother, which has pretty much fully been taken over by Horde or Horde-aligned groups, despite not necessarily being outlined in the agreement as viable to do. But uh, that's kind of not the approach we took with it, though. We are not here to empire build, which has been fun. We'll go into that. What are you looking to do? And what groups do you work with? So we generally just, you know, we're a PvP alliance. We have one solve system, though we project across a lot more than that. And we're generally just doing whatever it takes to generate PvP content. Um, we don't have any blues in the area outside of one, which was... I'll get into that uh, later, but uh, yeah, like we're just kind of a single solve holding entity and we work with some groups from the outside semi-regularly, but otherwise we're mostly on our own. We just have friends that show up occasionally. Who are the other major player alliances in the area? Um, so the way it's currently set up, there's Southern Star Syndicate, which is probably the largest immediate alliance in our uh, vicinity. There's uh, Slow Children at Play, who recently moved in from Cloudering about a couple months ago. I believe they were evicted, semi-evicted, by Shadow Ultimatum and the other Imperium groups. Um, there's also Bitter Old Vets, which is a small alliance, and Hard Commit. And this is kind of the band that's all above Immensity. It's because there's kind of two different spheres, I'd say, in the Southeast Agreement. There's uh, the Immensity North and then Immensity South. And it's kind of cool because the groups really don't interact right now, and there's all their own internal scuffles. Internal scuffles within the North and within the South, or between the two? Between, like, within the North group and the South group. Um, oh, interesting. There hasn't really been much bleed over outside of one group, Hard Commit, who kind of plays them both. So I imagine one of the worries, you know, if you're looking at, say, <clears throat> being a solve owner or, or trying to, like, you know, play the game in, in an organized way in those areas, um, normally your worry is you're always looking over your shoulder for that, you know, cap drop, big, you know, overwhelming force. Are there groups that um, are not affiliated with Imperium and not affiliated with Horde that are, are a looming threat over your sort of, you know, timers and things you're trying to do? Um. As a looming threat, I mean, uh, we've seen Big Ab participate a lot, either on our side or just they come on their own. Um, people with the access to Turner holes and just uh, Drifter holes in general, um, there for a couple of months, there was an active uh, B2 XIX eviction group that would come and scan anchoring structures pretty much all day. If you had one and it was close just to EUTZ, you could bet on them showing up. It's kind of uh, where I think some of the misconceptions about Constantine's translation of the renting still ongoing is I believe it was a term for this XIX group that was coming in extorting people anchoring structures. And it's been kind of cool to see. We've interacted with them some. Uh, they actually blew up one of our friend's anchoring structures just because he anchored it at the wrong time. So besides that, though, we really haven't seen many like groups that are consistently showing up. Um, within the region, though, I definitely say there's people that are ones to watch for, and you should keep eyes on their staging if you're dropping caps. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you, it's Deepwater Hooligans, right? Big Ab, is that right? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, they seem to be the bat phone for quite a few folks, I've noticed. Yeah, they do sort of go around, don't they? <laughs> I believe they were active in the catch campaign as well. And we, that NAR is just on, which we'll touch on in a little bit. But I believe they were one of the big, like if you wanted to get a fort killed or saved, you had to get them on your on your phone. If they came in for the other guy, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, kingmaker, should we say, yeah, in, in other mm-hmm. areas, yeah. What what about snuffed out then? Do they do they go over there that way? Uh, they've been active in Pravi for the past couple months, so we haven't actually seen them in the areas of the southeast agreement. Um, snuffed adjacent, though Volta has been showing up regularly in Amincy battles between Eltrig and Zerg, which is honestly the largest conflict in the region, I'd say. So you do get some sort of I won't say interference, but you do get some. People being poked then from from members of these larger alliances. Then I mean, you mentioned XIX, you mentioned Volta. You know, they they're part of they're adjacent to the to the big null blocks, aren't they? Yeah, hundred percent. Like Horde and Goonswarm, like the in it are like kind of the only big groups that like regularly, I'd say like have zero involvement, like over important timers. But all like the mid-major players, which got named in the agreement, not necessarily signed on themselves, have actually been showing up somewhat regularly. Uh, B2 is a common bat phone for the people we've been fighting, actually, for some things, which has been interesting to see. They don't really come in like a large, you know, 300-man fleet, but they do show up in like the 30, 40-man fleet size, which is manageable. So it's not really like an unwanted thing, you know, because it just makes more fights. Yeah, and I did wonder when the agreement was signed, I thought to myself, how much uh, did B2 and, and Volta and Blob have a say in this agreement, you know? Um, it, at the time, they were sort of being pressured by different groups and stuff. And I thought, well, you know, okay. I, at one point, I wondered if them, they themselves would have wanted uh, to run away to the southeast. Um, but things seem to have turned around from now. But you do see B2 sort of take a 30-person fleet to, uh, you know, some some conflict and like pick a side sometimes you know sort of semi content is content right yeah like kind of like and and sort of genuinely sort of just playing about i suppose rather than picking a side and i'd say like that doesn't really dishonor the agreement which i think is you know just like none of these big groups are going to come and glass everybody which i think is what you know the agreement's there for as long as that's not a concern 30, 40 people showing up, while it can be tough if you're on the smaller end of things, it's something you should be able to account for if you actually want to do anything meaningful to begin with, which that can be taken, I guess, the wrong way, but eh, it is what it is. Sounds fun. Let's talk about the inciting incident, which kind of catapulted the alliances in the Southeast Agreement into the forefront of the EVE consciousness. Talk to me about impulse control. So, uh, impulse control originally in Providence for about, I think, a month and a half period, and they got evicted by all the local groups. But um, their leader, Lucifer, reached out to me and was like, hey, I'm moving in near you. You know, he just kind of made contact with us to be like, you know, we're going here. can you kind of give us a rundown? And I did, you know, I was like impulse control. I just saw they were getting their things pushed in and in uh, Providence. I'm like, Hmm, we have no friends. Currently there's all these alliances around. Maybe we can kind of work on like a neutral status with them to get them involved in the area. Cause we had about four alliances we were fighting at the time and we were a lot smaller. So 
we weren't exactly being choosy about who we worked with. Um, and then after we worked with them for a couple of weeks, I kind of had some people poke me like, hey, did you hear about this about this guy? And they kind of mentioned the name called Chaser One. I'm not sure if you are aware of that, Alec. I wasn't prior to this, no. So yeah, I was like, hmm, I don't know who that is. So I did some research. Uh, some people poked me like, hey, this guy might be Chaser One. We had no evidence, but considering that, I mean, that's kind of a big, heavy accusation to have on something. We kind of distanced ourselves from them in a way, and they ended up self-separating from us fully because uh, they lost their staging fort. And we were there. We didn't really hard commit because there were a bunch of groups shooting it. And after that, they kind of switched sides and started working with the kind of loose coalition we had been fighting. And we had like these accusations, but we didn't really have any evidence, so we didn't really push hard. And things go on for a few weeks, and we'd kind of levy that again. And then cesspool discord, of all places, uh, started like badgering the other groups about it. And then uh, a member of AKC produced evidence detailing, you know, this is Lucifer, a bunch of voice logs connecting Lucifer to the Chaser 1 character. And I may let you talk about exactly Chaser 1. I'm not sure how detailed you want to get with that. Well, I let's get all the details, but this is your story. I mean, you kind of things really kicked off after you raised it in the Discord, from my understanding, and that's when consequences started happening in game. Yeah, I mean, basically, we kind of called that you know, um, Lucifer was this Chaser One character, and that they're working with them. And while we didn't have a lot of evidence at the time. We figured saying it in public and seeing what other people have to say about it. And it kind of just led to a combination of Hard Commit, who was working with this Loose Coalition, and Minty Roadkill, the Alliance exec of S3. They kind of called together a convening of all of the Alliance leaders in the area, save for uh, Impulse and two other alliances that may have been covering for Impulse and the true identity of their exec. And basically, it's just evidence corroborating Lucifer to Chaser One, and then the fact that Chaser One is uh, convicted uh, for some pretty bad things in your life. Um, is I'll leave it at that. And yeah, that's so we all kind of got together, had a powwow, and we were like, "Hey, that's not cool to have in our game." We uh, went and we just decided to hold a ceasefire on the war that had been ongoing and we began the eviction of impulse as well as the people that knew about the identity and then declined to share that with the coalition and even denied that that was the true identity of the impulse control leader and it was kind of like it was kind of cool to see the community come together despite it being uncool to know that's like was like hiding and i guess lying to us, deceiving us about who they were because they knew what they were hiding from us mm -hmm. in a way. So, I mean, it's kind of tough. Like, it was cool to see the community come together and stand against that. It was also hard to know that, like, not that that could be anybody, but, like, people will go through great depths to deceive you in this game over, like, things like that. So, I don't know, like, because Chaser 1 had been removed from the last Fire Coalition, which was in the same area of space. So, I guess it's kind of fitting that it happened the second time. It's weird how some people keep gravitating toward the same physical places in the game and the same situations socially. 
which now that you say that, um, Slow, who has recently moved into the region, is actively fighting for their old staging. And one of our directors was one of the ones that evicted them the last time. So <laughs> that kind of goes hand in hand. And how's that fight going so far? There have been a lot of ups and downs. We've grown significantly since the fighting first started. And I'm not going to say they haven't grown, but they've they've kind of stayed the same. So we're getting a lot better fights. We're not having to bat phone as much, which is fun for us. We like being able to do things ourselves. Because at the on-break, it was really an uphill battle. We were three corps and asked for asymmetric warfare, I should say. Um, the young listeners out there. but uh, And they had six, seven alliances at their peak. And that kind of got cut down with the recent scandal. So that's harder of their numbers. And recently, we've had a string of successes, despite one blip with the hell feed. So that's kind of been giving some momentum on our side, kind of going on the offensive. We've killed a few Ansiblexes, a few structures. It's been a lot of fun. There's been back and forth struggle, though, for sure. I suppose there needs to be conflict for this to be um, fun, you know, and I, I wonder about, like, that area, although I don't know the different groups, really. I've, I've heard some of the names. I've seen some of them in different areas and things like that. Um you know, I, I imagine the difficulty for you all is if you all if you're all friends, there's no conflict. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to shoot each other too much. Uh, it's that balancing act. Do you think there's um, a sense that you know everybody wants everybody to stick around and nobody nobody's trying to eliminate anybody else and things like that? Any dynamics like that going on? Um, we've had people tell us that we shouldn't be evicting, but I'll be honest. Our goal as a PvP group is to win. Not necessarily the most fun of fights for the enemy. And with that comes, I mean, our goal is like objective in any war, I guess, is total war, elimination of the enemy. So, no, there's really not any of that for us. We're coming to like win. We don't think like, because, you know, like we're not here to empire build and build our space up, you know. Once we're done here, we'll go somewhere else where there's other people. And I'm just honest and upfront about that, even when talking to these leaders, like, it's not necessarily the most diplomatic stance to take, but it's the stance we take because it's what our guys enjoy. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I suppose, yeah, for you, total victory will mean a certain thing and then you'll go away. If they, if they, if these people return, then that's, that doesn't matter, right? Yeah, I mean, if they leave and then they come back when we're gone, I mean, that just means we can maybe have another fight in the future if we <laughs> get done doing what we're doing. So yeah. that affects your, your choices in terms of fleet compositions and that kind of thing? Uh, yeah, you, you we have supers, you have paladins. I've seen you whip them out at least once, but I get the sense that's not an everyday occurrence. Ah, uh, correct. Like with anything, um, winning a war, you have to manage your morale and the enemies. And so you kind of have to eliminate feeding expensive things. So you kind of pick and choose the comps based on that. I mean, you can't just whip out these things because while they're really strong, like the Marauder meta is just so far and above and beyond, they do have like clear, hard counters that a prepared enemy uh, can abuse pretty well. So we've mixed it up. We've brought back a lot of things, I guess, not from old Eve, but like like the skill U, Tenem, and Lokis. We use those a lot, and those are a lot of fun because everyone gets the thing to do. Click the web. Uh, they're mitigating comps, and they really haven't been able to be used much because there's really not too many mid-scale, like 40v40 fights anymore. But that's kind of the norm here, so uh, we get to use them and love them. That's awesome. 
Well, moving on to some less enjoyable horde stuff. <laughs> <laughs> they've they've had a rough go of it since winning against Fireco. Uh, whether that's running into frustrations with fraternity and pure blind, to now some internal drama. Zero, do you want to break the story for us? Yeah, so I, I should start by saying I recently left um, the Imperium and sort of went solo. Um, and just I've just been messing about on my own. But before I left, I would often see defense fleets, uh, fun fleets being posted, um, you know, from the Imperium side of things, saying that uh, Mist was back in 1DQ and trying to shoot things. And uh, this was something that um, was going on uh, before the war, uh, in the north, and then during the war in the north, and um, and after the deployment uh, in the north. So Mist has been uh, an FC who, who for Horde has been um, just basically taking fleets down to one DQ uh, in Delve Imperiums, you know, staging and home, and um, just just taking stuff down there to uh, to shoot them. Like for the last, I don't know how long. I mean, it, it must have been going on long before I arrived there earlier in the year. And um, I thought it was going to go on long after, but uh, lo and behold, uh, no, that's not to, not to be. Now I know Mist appeared on um, Pando's FC chat recently, and uh, only a few weeks later do we see that Mist is um, is now posting fleets in one DQ form up um, for the goons. So um, that that was a, an FC that was known for you know fun fleets, yeah. So real sort of like. Um, one-way fleets, shall we say, <laughs> from from Horde to 1DQ and then pod back home kind of thing. Um, so Mist left uh, to go to Goons. Um, not really clear why. Um, you know, lots of memes on Reddit, things like, you know, Goons that play SRP, uh, things like that, but, uh, you know, I'm not really sure. And then another person who I, I didn't know about, um, Alterari uh, leaves horde another fc to go to the goons but as far as i know came from goons originally um and Alterari more of a sort of strat op level sort of larger engagements strategic stuff a level fc um rather than like fun fleets kind of thing um and you know allegedly somebody who was kind of like always accused of being a spy and wasn't really given you know sort of back uh backroom access to the the deep dark secrets of horde or anything like that you know, always, always had the potential then, perhaps, to of going back to to the Imperium. Um, but from the member, well, if if the spies on Reddit or anything to be believed, from the members' point of view, a loss. Both of them being a loss, content-wise, for Horde members, and and will probably be missed. And um, a little bit of uh, sort of cope going on with um, people suggesting that, well, you know, perhaps perhaps uh, Mist will bring fleets to Horde space now instead, which will be good for Horde members. But um, yeah, overall, it must be uh, um, tough to lose those people. And, you know, alongside that, you've got, um, you know, the goons sort of suggesting that um, their membership is increasing slowly and uh, some hints that maybe, you know, the the propaganda war um, where, you know, Horde are accused of being the bad guys now of EVE because they shoot brave and because they're friends with frat and things. Perhaps some of that is starting to... Uh, become a reality or is it you know is it all just more spy or propaganda that is the question i mean this this is just so messy <laughs> i think there is there's going to be a lot of propaganda a lot of spin a lot of um validation of rumor just for the the lulls of it but then there's also the hard facts that these guys are gone you know and that loss is going to be felt 
Yeah, I mean, there, there's some suggestion that, oh, well, you know, Imperium had a void of FCs and you know, needed these people. Well, when I was there, they didn't have a void of FCs. There were plenty of FCs posting fleets all the time. So, um, yeah, the, you know, the Imperium have just got more active FCs now, but look right. But I did see that Alterari lost the Super in Cloud Ring, like, you know, coming up to 24 hours ago, um, which I'm sure wasn't part of the plan, should we say? Because the Horde character sort of shooting it, um, I, I, I imagine that that was a bit of an accident there. Probably, right? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, luckily, Horde can afford to take the hits. It's a pretty big alliance, but. I wonder, like, so certainly the the propaganda spin side of this is laying laying the inciting incident for these people to be leaving these high profile FCs at the feet of their decision to stay blue with fraternity. Asar and Zero, I'm curious on your perspectives. How accurate you think that is, or is that just a convenient excuse being used to stir up some trouble? Well, I'll go first. I think. You know, if I was trying to put myself in the shoes of, of a, a null block FC, right? I mean, you've got the keys, the SRP wallet. You've got the ability to ping and get numbers in your fleets any time of, of the 24-hour cycle. Um, you've got people to shoot. You know, you, there's always, you've got to travel for it, but there's always people to shoot. So what is the major difference between being a Horde FC versus being an Imperium FC, you know, goons in it? Um, well, I, I mean, I don't really know doctrines, you know, that's a small part of it, isn't it? You know, um, personalities, you know, maybe, you know, do you get on with your fellow FCs and content creators and leadership and things, but others, otherwise, is it more like w- w- at, at, what, at some point, what are you fighting for? Isn't it? You know, I mean, what, wh- who's, whose side are you on? Um, is that part of it? And, uh, you know, it must be frustrating not being able to shoot frat. I would say. But apart from that, I'm not sure. Uh, from conversations I had seen between some Horde higher-ups as well as Ultrari, it seems like, I guess it's a matter of like inclusion. Like People generally follow where their friends are and eve more than the actual group and what they're doing themselves. And I guess there's like um, accusations, I guess, of the Horde like leadership or FC team being a little bit elitist, like excluding him. From there, as y'all said earlier, I mean, I think that's just the biggest thing, and I don't really think it's too much implications on the groups themselves in the future, because, like you said, Alec, those are like really big groups, and while like missed content fleets got attended daily, I think other people can fill that void. I've heard the same about the elitism thing, and you know, when I was in the Imperium, I didn't see any of that there. Um, they were very, very, very friendly, and you know, there was. I saw no elitism. I, 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 obviously, when you get to you know, the inner circles uh, of leadership and FC teams and stuff, obviously you're going to have some gatekeeping, should we say, of like who's who's allowed to know what. And that's obvious, isn't it? Um, but I've often heard it said that, you know, in some... I'm not going to point fingers because I've, I've never been in those groups, but I've often heard it said in Eve that there are certain groups, certain sort of old guard kind of attitudes Um you know, toxic sort of toxicity sort of stuff at the in certain leadership groups or whatever, um, where you know attitudes um, are not like great um, towards you know the non-elite, should we say? And um, that elitism is a criticism I hear about like 
whispered about in different places. And uh, well, it is now being suggested, you know, a little bit more out in the open. But who those people are and where they they fly and whether, you know, any group is actually immune to that, who knows? I don't know. Wow, that's so... That's a tough one to dispel as well, right? Easy to say, right? Yeah, easy to say, difficult for them to dispute. And and elitism, like your point of view, is important there, isn't it? You know, I mean, if you don't if you don't follow the ethos of the people you're flying with, or you know, they they don't like what you do, and they, or they take a dislike to the the way you feed chips or something, then you know, you're, you're going to get those sort of conflicts there. Um, but yeah, the int- I think it's an interesting point of you know who do you infl- who do you enjoy flying with? Where are your friends? That must be a massive, massive part of you know what people do because it's, it's what they find fun. Let's move on to something keeping the game fresh this coming June, the Viridian expansion, which probably less than a month away uh, could always be pushed to the last week of June, but that's not usual for CCP patches. We've already talked about some of the big ticket items in the previous show, but we've just gotten another update blog with a bit more about some of the things that we hadn't talked about, specifically some graphics updates, corp objectives, and uh, it was touched on at length in Oz's interview with Ritati. There's some kind of industrial site that's going to be brought out. We don't have tons of information on it, but it's been called by CCP Marketing Speak a game changer for industry. Now, the graphics updates, I don't know if you guys have had a chance to take a look at that blog, but uh, basically some love given to the Tech One frigates. Uh, the change doesn't seem drastic, but considering they are what most new players will spend 90% of their time in. I think it's very smart from CCP's perspective to put a little artistic love into making those ships look absolutely glorious. Yeah. So as I understand it, you've got like additional lighting effects, sort of like headlights and things and um, different movements when ships enter warp and exit warp and other sort of color type lighting type effects. Um, going on these hulls and like i think was it the rifter recently that had this this was was sort of the first one that had this treatment mm-hmm, yeah i mean i i'm all for it because like you say you know when you first start playing the game um you're always you know, people are in frigates and they spend i remember spending time looking at them thinking which one was the best like uh, for me um the, when i first un- undocked in an astero and looked at it you know and it looked kind of like a lego kind of thing <laughs> um i spent a long time probably longer than I'd, I'd like to admit really sort of staring at it and warping things um and when, and the first time i realized a lot of these little ships you know they move and and you know they change shape and stuff i was quite um happy with that and uh yeah although you know once you're in uh, sort of playing the game pvp or whatever you're really gonna zoom in um or some people do i know but uh you know, the fact is now that, you, you know, if you've been hit by missiles, is, is it right that, yeah, I'm sure I've seen this, um, like explosives, uh, missiles are going to, you know, the impact is going to look like an explosion, whereas, you know, the kinetic is going to look more like, um, you know, some sort of like uh, pulse kind of movement thing and, and uh, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. Um, perhaps there will be a good reason to zoom right in and, and look at these things. Uh, but I think it's really cool. Um Sounds like they, they're trying to sort of roll out frigates first and then other ships another time. And they've done something with Bastion 
uh, and Marauders looking going into Bastion that, that apparently is going to look more obvious now, like flashing lights and things. Wow, very cool. I mean, for me, anything that makes it easier for people like me who are only human to identify things about the ships is also cool. I mean, I think it's a great thing that, you know, you can zoom in on a ship and see what guns it's got on. Um, I just wish that it wasn't so um, difficult because um, I don't know how the people who can do it, you know, really quickly learn all this stuff uh, because I, I think I've managed to figure out like about five of them regularly and that's it. And there's so many variations. Uh, so yeah, anything that makes it a little bit more sort of a little easier for us, mere humans to, you know, get a little bit better at identifying ships and stuff, that, that's also cool. We're also going to get some in-space stuff with, uh, they're calling it volumetric clouds. Apparently they are in-space cloud particle effects that will not make your computer fall apart. Certainly looks pretty gorgeous. Reminds me of the uh, the snow fields that we had during the winter event. Was it last year or the year before that? I always thought those were absolutely gorgeous. Looks like we might get a lot more of things like that to make space feel a little more interesting and a little less empty. You know, being able to fly through a nebula and things. You know, people always have that power fantasy of it, a spaceship game. You see all these beautiful constellations and beautiful star patterns and beautiful nebulas. What if you could actually go to them? I think I'll kind of touch a little bit of that. Absolutely. And I, I loved the uh, the stuff they did last year with the missions where, you know, the a lot of the missions you you sort of get exposed to early on in the game, they revamped a lot of those um, dungeon sort of things. And, uh, you know, they were lot, the structures were much bigger and you really felt a sense of scale when uh, you had your little tiny ship and you could sort of fly in in between these huge structures now instead of this just little sort of station. And even the little stations, you know, those little, um, well, the clubs and things, when they like space clubs, um, even they had, you know, graphical updates and they actually looked like, uh, it, it, almost like Vegas kind of, you know, styling and stuff. It was really um, great to see. And I can't wait to... Uh, get on grid with one of those volumetric clouds myself i'm really looking quite quite looking forward to that they're also rolling out something they're calling corp objectives it sounds like a feature that's been asked for quite a bit which is i want to set some kind of target mine x amount of ore kill x number of ships etc and then if you achieve that whoever does get some kind of payout could see that being quite useful for the uh, mercenary context, although you know our, I think our payout systems worked really well. It is heavily manual, so this could take a bit out of that. But I'm kind of keeping my expectations low because I think what we'll probably see is more of a minimum viable product for this, and probably more oriented toward industrial corps. I'm going to guess because I think one of the primary applications of that kind of feature is simplifying your supply chain and making it easier for people to work together and contribute toward um, specific targets of gathering materials together. But there could be some PvP applications too, and I'm quite excited to see if there are. Absolutely. And, you know, perhaps this could be the start of something that they can iterate on as well. Um, but yeah, that, that sort of, it's a bit of a fantasy as well, isn't it? Of like, you know, leaderboards and I don't know, um, even sort of like medals and things linked to all this is there's there's a few things in the game that exist already that could be quite uh, like roles and things you know there's various things that perhaps they could tie in and um, 
you know, as part of that thing of like, I, I, I help the corp achieve these objectives. It's a nice, nice thing. Drop X amount of slow children in play. <laughs> <laughs> a very handy objective for a SAR. <laughs> uh, Any speculation about these industrial sites? Have you guys heard anything that would give you some details? They sound like... I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see new materials. That doesn't sound quite right, but it might be pockets of otherwise unavailable material in certain areas of space, perhaps. What could be a game changer for industry? I wish I knew. (laughs) I wish I knew. I have zero uh, experience with industry or that side of the game, so I have no input. <laughs> we'll throw it out to the listeners. If you're if you're here in this part of the show, go comment on declarationsofwar.com. Give us your best theory. I mean, right now, all I can tell you is on my limited, limited exposure to industry, sometimes some of the ingredients are like sold in NPC stations, for example. Um, so like getting those ingredients, you have to go to like, a specific station and buy it and then bring it over to where you're building things. And the, um, in terms of the sort of bonuses for building things, uh, you know, it depends on rigs fitted to, you know, different, um, player on structures. Well, they're, they're modest, you know, those, those sort of uh, benefits and things are modest. I wonder if, you know, there's a better way sometimes. And like, unless you own those structures as a corp, you can't really, I don't think you can really do much with these sort of, mechanics around like things a little bit easy to build or they cost less materials and things um so yeah it'd be interesting to see if if you know different parts of space become more sort of industrial um industrialized should we say for the community to access then it's interesting i think the issue with people putting those structures up everybody wants to have one but because everybody wants to have one they're not really profitable to run the uh the fuel cost pretty substantial and unless you have a lot of traffic coming to yours you're not going to make that back yeah and like there's one everywhere because everybody needs one of their own exactly i think for a lot of folks they don't and this is me putting my mercenary hat on as well we get so many inquiries from people to defend their industrial structures and high sec and wormhole space mostly high sec (laughs) uh and it's just well yeah i mean you could have your own Raitar or your own Athenor, but you've got a five-man corp and you can't defend yourself against one or two battleships attacking you. Maybe just use the public one. How much money are you really saving? Yeah. This might take, take some money out of Nora's pocket, but I do encourage our listener base to think about that and just do that risk-reward assessment. You know, they're, It's a big investment up front. It takes a lot of fuel to run them. And you you need to be able to fuel it consistently. You need to be able to cover it if it's a loss. You need to be able to factor those costs into what you're producing. And, you know, there's always the risk that it gets popped. And take all that and then compare it against the tax rate for the other guy's right tire next door. You know, maybe let him take the risk. I think because I say I understand it now, and I could be wrong on this. Um, It's a bit like trying to get a corp office in in an NPC um, you know, structure, like the more people that are doing things in the area of space you're in, in, in the public stuff, uh, the, the costlier it is. So if you can find a quiet area, things are cheaper. But also there's certain things you can only do in low sec and, and only do in null. Um, and that's about as much as I know. 
if that's even correct. I think it's just simple economics, right? But people don't do that math. And some people don't care what it costs. They just want to have their structure, which is also Mm. fine. Yeah. But it would be interesting to see different ways of approaching that problem for people that perhaps don't want to build in high tech or don't want to um, put the joint corp or, or, you know, a group of, yeah, have their own structures. You could always do a one-man corp and do it, but... Eve is a Eve is a PvP game. If you're going to take that plunge, you have to realize that you are saying everyone else that has a structure in the game, plus people that don't want more structures to exist, I'm throwing my hat in the ring to compete with you and to compete against your interests and how you want to play the game. And a lot of people aren't ready for that step, quite frankly, because they don't understand either that they're doing it or you know what level of force and coordination you need to compete in that world. Now, it's not to say that you have to be as big as Goonswarm or as big as Test to put down structures in EVE and enjoy that part of the game. Obviously not. Of course, any big alliance could come and knock your sandcastle over. You know, you've got alliances like Asymmetric Warfare and Slow and Hard Commit. They're not horde-level alliances, but they're still out of Nilsec putting infrastructure down. You just have to do it with a clear head and open eyes. Understand the risk. And when that risk winds up being more than you calculated for, you can reach us at Yeah, We'll be around. Now, speaking of us being around, boy, I'm glad we didn't miss this fight. Um, coming off the back of our catch contract, we came back to Faction Warfare for a brief stay before we go out on our next deployment. And we came in time for a big fight in Athunan. Kicked off by Sedition, who reinforced a Astra House that's been commonly used by Kaldari. Kaldari Navy has been staging out of there, apparently producing ships out of there. Uh, wasn't actually a Kaldari militia structure, just kind of affiliated and used by them. So it had to go, and they weren't going to let it go easily. It wound up being United Kaldari Space Command. Shadow Ultimatum and a few miscellaneous general militia folks versus Sedition, Network, Aderon Robotics, Razor, and a few miscellaneous corps sent like one or two folks in. Uh, Chicken Coop, I believe, is also there. Some unaffiliated groups also there. Uh, I think Dirt and Glitter made a brief appearance and then warped away. (laughs) (laughs) Um. But it was, it was a crazy fight, man. Crazy, crazy, crazy fight. Caldari uh, definitely had the numbers advantage. They also deployed three capital ships to the field. But due to great target calling and range management, we managed to stay outside of the effective damage range of most of their ships. Our logistics were easy, easily able to keep the incoming DPS at bay. We had trouble breaking them initially, but after we killed one or two of their Tech 1 logistics ships... Everything else started falling like dominoes, and there were repeated engagements. This was a series of clashes over the course of an hour before the final kill mail was pulled in. And in that time, Kaldari Militia and Co. lost 7.7 billion ISK to just 186 million lost on the side of the Galanti Federation. A brutally one-sided battle. 
uh, they kept trying to their credit. They reshipped and kept coming back and coming back, coming back. They tried short range. They well, first they tried long range. Then they tried short range. They tried hurricanes. They tried drakes. They tried bringing cap ships in. The cap ships were actually a, a pretty significant challenge for us. We did not have the DPS to break them. And we really didn't have the DPS to tank them either. But obviously dreadnoughts being what they are, once they siege, they're in place for five minutes. And because the Kaldari didn't have any effective tackle, we just repositioned our fleet out of range and kept on going and forced the Kaldari militia to reposition their subcaps to fight us and rinse and repeat. Hell of a fight. Shoutouts to, I think, Brad Chang was the FC, if I'm remembering that right, uh, from Sedition. Awesome dude. Great fleet. A lot to be proud of there. Uh, didn't Sedition sort of... Where did they, I, I thought they went somewhere recently and it wasn't... Uh, it was to, it was to leave um, Galente Faction Warfare, wasn't it? Or am I misremembering? You are not misremembering. They made a lot of noises about doing that, but didn't wind up, actually. Gotcha. So they stuck around. Yeah, they, they left where they were staging and, and just kind of... They didn't leave the war zone entirely. So they abandoned their forward position which in fairness had been their staging ever since we had started interacting with Faction Warfare later, late last year. Um, but they're still involved in the fighting. Um, they're the largest organized alliance followed by network. We usually yeah. are more in the south and they're more in the north, or I guess west and east, depending on how you look at the war zone. But yeah, those are the big groups involved. And uh, yeah, happy to work with them. It was a good fight. Really well-run fleet. Everybody worked together really well, which is something you don't often see in faction warfare. But there was very little, uh, very little miscommunication or disorganization. You know, network and noir are usually super professional. So we ran in, kind of seamlessly merged into their fleet. Everybody else fell in line as well. FC calls were listened to reliably. Fleet warps and target calling and all that. The fleet responded promptly, and that's the difference in the. The skill level between the two groups. Kaldari militia just couldn't get it together. Uh, they had the same range as us, theoretically, but I think their skill points were a little bit lower, so the theoretical range was not realized. And even when it was, I don't know if they were shooting the right targets or if you know our logistics was just too much for them in general. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they struggled to break anything. I think we had one or two ships hit structure, but Nothing was tackled, so they could have warped out at any time. Brutal. So they lost the structure. Um, they did, yes. No caps. They didn't lose caps. No, we, we couldn't break them, so we let them go. We tried to have uh, one of our interceptors hold down a Nagalfar fleet issue, but unfortunately it got neutered out, and the guy was able to slip away to another structure they have anchored in that system. Yeah. As Given someone, how fun this fight was, I imagine those circumstances will probably be repeated because they still have a few uh, Raitarus. Excuse me, it was a Raitaru, not an Athenar. They have a few other structures in that system that have yet to be reinforced and then could probably get a similar fight. Okay, sir. I was just going to ask, as someone who hasn't interacted with Faction Warfare, I think, ever, uh, is this sort of like inter-alliance coordination common, or would you say it's pretty rare that like the big groups like that coordinate on these like big timers. Uh, it's a bit hit or miss, to be honest. There's a lot of 
there's a lot of talking and communication and there's some casual fleeting up, but it is rare to see the bigger alliances truly work together like that. And the times that it has happened, very often there's a lot of confusion, a lot of you know, very uh, newer, more casual alliances trying to come together and they kind of, you know, people aren't where they need to be. They're not in the ships they need to be there. They're not used to following directions and FC calls and having standardized fits or they have different fits than everybody else. And there needs to be shopping done and, oh, well, we don't have this module that we need. Can I bring my Drake? You know, it's a lot of that <laughs> going on. I'll say uh, sedition fleets and network fleets are two generally very well put together ones. When the two alliances work together, there's very rarely an issue. But we are two of many alliances in Galente Militia. And sometimes everything comes together and everyone's on the same page. And sometimes it's not. But they're going through the same thing on the other side. You know, Kadari Militia has its larger organized groups. And then like a whole sub-layer of smaller, less organized groups. And then your general militia members, just individuals who are looking to get in on what content they can. And finally, our contract update, also pairing a bit of an alliance update. Our catch contract has come to a col- come to a close. Ended with a whimper rather than a bang. Uh, most of the action in this contract was in the opening couple days. After that first week, things kind of chilled out a little bit. Um, there was an initial big push against Dracaris to defend the iHubs they reinforced and to counterattack. And once that initial fight happened, that first weekend, where we killed some of their iHubs and defended the rest, things kind of calcified. Both groups were kind of time zone tanking each other. There were a couple more reinforcement attempts on the Fortazar, but after that first big, exciting fight, there really wasn't much. Um, Drakaris reinforced it two more times, didn't turn up to follow up. They reinforced it again, and I don't think the owners turned up to defend it. So... Things uh, a little boring. You know, we roamed around. We tried to kill what we could. Uh, we caught quite a few Jakaris Ishtars. Tried to reinforce some jump bridges, which we did. But the kill timers were in the middle of, like, Central Asian time zone slash East Asian time zone. Just not great timers for us. So we couldn't really turn up with any numbers to contest. And things just kind of chilled out from there. So... We stayed in the area, we did what we could, we tried to apply whatever pressure we could, but it became obvious that the locals were withdrawing from this conflict in general and weren't interested in you know, pulling out all the stops to go on any kind of offense, particularly given the time zone differential involved. So we're now just in the process of withdrawing. But we did make uh, some interesting characters while we were there. In particular, a guy named You Know What from a corp called Scott's Fire. And he is a multi-boxer. Met him in one of the Fortazar defenses where he undocked a multi-box fleet of Dominixes and Eoses by himself. <laughs> it was just like, yep, I'm here. I'm a fleet all by myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, got to talking with him. I, I noticed him posts on the, uh, the Evo forums about becoming a Merc. So I reached out to him and you know, I saw the value in hooking up with an experienced name where he could get a lot of contracts. And I see a lot of value in what he could bring to the table for us. He also knows a lot about black opsing, lots of uh, hunter alts and things like that. So Scott Fire 
is joining the network. Excellent. Yeah, effective later today of when we're recording this. And that's not all, folks. We also have Federation Frontline, who run the podcast Federation Frontline. I'm yes. about to be on that show in like 15 minutes. <laughs> um, their main corp, Golden Age Stories, is also going to be joining the network. They're very interested in combining mercenary work with their faction warfare presence. And so we've agreed to bring them in, and we're going to move Noir Academy into Federation Frontline, which will act as a kind of a incubator faction warfare corp for players that are too new to join these corps directly, but are very interested in getting more serious with their faction warfare play and learning how to be badass PVPers. That's very nice. That's very good. I think uh, I, I listened to the Federation Frontline um, podcast. That's not, is um, one of Noir's members uh, on that podcast sometimes, right? He is indeed. Nightflyer uh, has been a regular member of that show for quite a while now, and he's excited about this merger as well. Absolutely. But this all comes down to the Madison meetup. I took a trip over to Wisconsin to do the Madison meetup. And man, what a great town. What a great Eve community they have up there. Shout outs to Frozen Fallout, Samson, all the other people that I met in the meetup, including their wives. Just uh, absolutely brilliant, friendly, welcoming people. And they picked a great spot. It was one of the best arcade bars I've ever seen. We had a lot of fun playing Killer Queen. Uh, a Dungeons and Dragons side-scrolling beat 'em up, which I think was one of my favorite games that I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, it had it all. It was good. That's awesome. Zero, what's your highlight? So uh, I recently started playing sort of solo, um, just to give that a go, and I've been taking um, some characters. I say solo, right? But you know. I take two characters. So I take two characters to uh, Nullsec. Um, I'll eat in, go for Sovnal areas, and I'll try to rob the ESS. Um, and sort of I'm, my aim at the moment is is to pay for the ship that I'm flying with the ESS money. So um, I'll take like an Oracle because, you know, I like to do my own fits and stuff. So I take like a um, an Oracle fit with an overpropped AB and I'll go in and... Um, sit in the ESS that I can find, you know, with a you know, decent amount of risk in it, and then um, wait for people to come and try and kick me out. And uh, I've got another character in, in a frigate, you know, just sort of to scout me in and out of systems, not to actually do any PvP. So it's just one ship that I'm using to PvP. The other one's just scouting. And um, the other day I was doing this, and I would got to my sort of my target of like 160 mil uh, in my, you know, in my hold, as my sort of haul and um somebody i i usually check the the kill boards right of the people that um are in system right because if i go to a system and there's three characters in there if they've got no pvp activity on the kill board then then they're not going to stop me from going into the ess you know that's i'm fine with that um even if they've got a little bit of pvp activity i'm probably not going to be put off i'm still going in the ess trying to rob the money um well well this one particular person um didn't really have any pvp activity uh to, to sort of speak uh of on the izzy kill so um i i wasn't really paying much attention and um i was i was about to sort of i was looking for a safe to uh to go to i'd, I'd bookmarked a safe and i was going to go to the safe after robbing the ess and i was going to find my way out to back to, to back to high sec to claim the money and um next thing you know i i was on the the eyes and um 
I just noticed on D, just out of chance, I noticed a Gila on D. Well, the bits I, I, I wasn't paying attention to was the fact that my Oracle had been sitting in the ESS, even though the time had gone, for like about a minute or so. So I, I could have easily been out, right? But no, no, I didn't. So I quickly went back to my main character uh, that I was using for PvP and started burning out of the ESS. But the Gila, <laughs> the Gila, there was obviously PvP fit, um, AB PvP fit, um, comes in and um, chases up the Oracle. So I just about managed to get out of um, drone control range as as uh, the Gila locks me up. So um, so they couldn't deploy the drones on me. So I, I was like, I'm like, oh, all right, you know, I wonder if I can, like, from 80K, because that's the kind of lock range of the Oracle. Can I can I stay, you know, say between 65 and 80K and, and shoot this Gila and get enough DPS? Because if it's active reps, I'm probably not going to be able to do it. So I give it a go. But it turns out that, um, you know, feathering, <laughs> at feathering, even at like 70K, in an overpropped AB battlecruiser is not it's not something that is particularly <laughs> easy to do, right? So, like, as he's trying to get out of the, I say he, as they are trying to get out of the ESS bubble, um, and I'm sort of try, trying to sort of, you know, follow their movements, um, I'm burning in a bit uh, to get a bit closer just because I've ended up out of range. Um, all of a sudden, they turn on me and come, come straight at me and manage to get the drones on me. And I'm like, oh. Anyway, I had to sort of, um, we had to call it a draw and I had to warp off. Um, you know, I, I lost about 25% shields. They'd lost about 25% shields. And, and that was that. Nothing was said in local. I felt bad after. I should have done a GF. Um, but I, I was just, you know, being quiet. And uh, I, I stuck around for another five minutes and left. But uh, yeah, kudos to whoever it was out there. That I, I wasn't on my main character, so, you know. Um, uh, yeah, whoever it was out there that came in, <laughs> came into the ESS to kick me out in a PvP AB fit Gila. I you know, credit you. That was cool. So I really enjoyed that. And I think that's kind of what I was going to say about the host I thing. You know, one of the reasons I, I'm doing things solo is because um, it's just it's just quite thrilling. You know, I like to, to try new things in EVE. And um, yeah, being like completely on your own out there in Nalsec when, you know, you've got these major blocks and you're robbing their money and stuff. It's, it's a bit of a thrill to get in and out and like, you know, to rob 160 mil. I was happy with that. So I've saved up enough now for a Phantasm and I'll probably use that instead next time. And maybe I'll try and stick around and actually kill something uh, more than just MTUs and, and people that, um, you know, are not really prepared for what I'm doing. That sounds awesome. I saw one of the largest ESS ha- halls that I've ever seen since I started playing, or that feature got rolled out, rather. 600 million just yesterday. Wow. Get a chance to get it. The locals were robbing their own ESS with... Uh, uh, two Lokis and a Proteus, plus a large Ferox fleet on standby, so we didn't really get a good look at it. But, man, I was salivating. I almost wanted to risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> I'm pr- pretty sure we would have died horribly if we tried, but it was tempting. Uh, and I, I said earlier that the locals had no share of the defense for the uh, last Fortizar timer in WLAR. Not correct, Asar reminds me, because he was actually there at that fight. It was just the opposing force was absolutely overwhelming, and there really wasn't much they could do about it. Uh, sorry, do you want to talk about that and the other Fortizar defense you have as your host highlight? Yeah, um, so I was there. I kind of got invited just to come along because it was actually a people I had been fighting uh, somewhat recently, and we kind of made events, and he invited me to come down and help with the fort defense. I'm like, sure. It was before our own fort timer by a couple hours. 
And yeah, they had their paladins take the grid. A uh, small Jacaris fleet warped in at range of, with TFIs, and it looked like this would be something takeable. The paladins broke tether, the fossils broke tether, and right about then, a goon Sino showed up on grid and lit, and 100 Lashaks bridged in at zero. Uh, Big Ab and Cindy were both bat phones for it, and they showed up after the goons came, but there just really wasn't much they could do, because about that time, a Sigma Grindset Vogger fleet also showed up. And yeah, it got pushed on a hole, to say the list. That was fun to see, but I feel bad because there's just nothing they could do about that. 300 Imperium coming in on, I want to say it's like a 20-man group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the final timer for that is coming out tonight. Any interest in defense? What do you think? I've been told that it's probably going to just be let go. Um, if it gets the same response of Imperium, I imagine they've decided it's better to cut their losses. It was like 80 bill fed, I think, on the defender side on the whole timer, and only like 10 bill killed. It was rough. Ooh. Is that the uh, the therapy uh, corporation involved? No. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a skill issue therapy that group. Yeah, my um one of my friend, well, the friend who got me into Eve actually, um, used to fly with um the CEO and uh, speaks fondly of the intensity in which you know his days in Eve and Alsac were. Uh, you know, well, very uh, formative, really, in the way he sees online gaming. And um, well, when I speak to him next and tell him that uh, it got mentioned on the podcast I do, he's going to be like, what? <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Small build. Small game in a lot of ways. I feel like it's getting smaller in some, but bigger in others. I guess towards like my uh, host highlight, which is very related, and that it's also a Fort Armor timer. Uh, I got to meet up with Alec. We had the local coalition finally got an initial ref off. I think it was their seventh attempt. They finally pushed one through. And we had the fight the night before last. And yeah, um, they brought about 70 people in. There were a few long range dreads and a nightmare fleet. And uh, it ended up being a pretty fun fight. Um, we outnumbered them. Just They kind of underformed what we thought would be coming. And we had some friends show up. It was a big fight. They fed the dreads. They fed about 30 nightmares. And overall, we dunked about 80 bill worth of stuff. And I don't know. This was a fun time. And we welcome them to come again because that was a fun fight. Um, and that kind of goes into my shout out. Uh, shout out to Hard Commit, Slow, and S3 for being willing to fight. Um, it's been a bit of back and forth. So it's been fun to have people still invested in the Southeast Agreement and continuing to fight despite some losses on both sides. Absolutely. And finally, some shout-outs to our Golden Elite supporters, Fade Atreides, Kestrel Swainson, Krav, Mark Havoc, Ting Tengu, and Tweak. Thank you for your continued support. Uh, I already kind of gave my shout-outs to the folks at the Madison Meetup. Zero, who are you shouting out? So I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but um, I've been, I was involved in one particular fleet recently where Eve University were defending their um, Nullsec Holdings. It's, it's in Syndicate. They've got a little an NPC, you know, you know, um, little base of operations they've had for many years. And over those many years, a group called Sinosaural Field Theory um, have uh, harassed them, should we say. Um, and that's been happening recently. Um, rumor is that, uh, on Reddit at least, that, uh, you know, somebody with a credit card, a big wallet, has um, 
paid them to do it. But uh, yeah, they've been defending against um, harassment of their structures and things like that. And uh, successfully so. They've had some interesting engagements down there. They killed a cat the other day. And they, um, in the engagement I was with them, they defended against, um, you know, a cap deployment. Uh, you know, and the uh, CFT people will, will say on Reddit, at least, that, um, you know, they go in 10 against 100. But when you've got 100 EVE Uni pilots um, against you, you know, 90 of those people... Um, you know, they, they might only have like like two million SP. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's really not uh, what it seems. You know, on the outside, you know, um, when uh, when Eve Uni have a hundred in fleet, um, twenty five of those people are probably in T one frigs, um, and you know, those who are in Brattle Cruisers might they might be their third PvP engagement ever, for example, or first. Uh, so yeah, not quite as uh, outnumbered as they'd like it you to think i'm sure cft but uh yeah the you have defended well and um i'm not sure how much longer this will go on for but they'll they'll always be harassed there and uh lots of people on reddit would like to think that they would always be defended and you know people will come to their aid as well so that was uh what i was involved in recently and yeah shout out to eve uni for defending yet again against uh people who don't really want them to have stuff in nullsec it's a story we really wanted to put into this show, but obviously we were quite stuffed, uh, hoping to go into more depth on the CTF slash EVUNI conflict and syndicate on the next show. Asar, close us out. What are your shout-outs? Uh, I kind of meant, accidentally said it earlier, but uh, yeah, just all the people in the Southeast for kind of engaging in this environment. It's a new thing for EVE, having this where... There's no block content. And I'm seeing a lot of people put a lot of effort in, and that makes the fights that much more fun and meaningful whenever you have actual real stakes online. And it's kind of up to you to hold them up. All right, well, that's it, guys. Head to declarationsofwar.com to participate in our show poll. As always, our YouTube, youtube.com slash C slash AlexiFK to comment on our highlights and PvP videos. Check out my playlists. I collect videos from all the folks at Noir and you know, other people that we wind up fighting and happen to make it out of their YouTubes as well. Noir Recruitment is back on along with Noir Academy very shortly, putting a brief pause on Noir Academy until we uh, get the Alliance switch taken care of. But now is the time to do it. It's a very exciting time to have Noir Academy joining Federation Frontline. It's going to be a, a very cool development. I think it gives us some interesting options to support newer players. And if you just want to come hang out with us, find out a little bit more about the Corp and how to apply, go to cafenoir.ingame, and you'll find a link to our Discord as well as answers to all of your questions. Check us out on Federation Frontline. I'm going to be doing their podcast right after this show. Don't miss out. And wherever you are, whoever you're listening to, and whoever you're flying with, good hunting listeners. <laughs>